Well, good morning. So good to see all of you today. If you don't know me, my name is Eric Putman. I am the pastor of Junior High Ministries, and uh, I am so happy to be here this morning to be able to share with you. Um, it's been a unique month. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe you were here, Stephen Elliott, our high school pastor, came up here and spoke. Last week was Student Mission Sunday, and then uh, today I'm sharing, but Pastor John, he is ready. He is eager to get back and to be with you guys. He will be here next week to share with you. Um, he's ready to be behind the pulpit. But uh, today, I, I have this awesome opportunity, and if you would, uh, open up your Bible to the book of Luke, and uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. If you do not have your Bible, that's okay. We are going to have some words, uh, some scripture up on the screen behind me. And uh, so you can follow that along as well. But today, uh, we're talking about this whole idea of coming home to God. That's the name of the message, coming home or coming home to God. And there's just something about the word home. It's very powerful. Uh, the word home, Dorothy says it best in The Wizard of Oz, there's no place like home. And uh, my, my mom always reminds me uh, of how powerful this word is. Uh, you see, I grew up in, in Texas, which is God's country pretty much. And, uh, and um, my parents were living out here for, for a while, but then they finally moved back into that area. And my mom, she calls just about every week. And she will ask me, and she has about, her Texas draws about 10 times thicker than mine. So she will get on the phone and she'll say, son, when are you coming home? Like all dramatic like that. And I'm like, sorry, mom, we have a house here. We have jobs. I just, but we miss you so much, son. Can't you just come home? And I'm just like, mom, this is our home right now, okay? And, um, but there's just something about that, that word home. And there is something special when I go back to Texas because it's what I know. It's where I'm from, this whole idea of going home. Um, my wife, uh, Amy, I took her with me uh, when we first got married back to Texas, and I wanted her to see the house that I grew up in. Now, we, my parents sold that house about 10 years ago, but I still wanted her to see it. I wanted her to see the, the yard I played in, and I wanted her to see uh, the room that I stayed in and everything. So I took her to the house, and we, we drove up to the front of it, and I said, I said, there's the house. And I said, but I wasn't just happy enough leaving it at that. I said, we have to go in. We have to go in this house. So I pull her up. Uh, we go up into the, to the front door and, and knock on the door, and this, this nice lady answers. There's three little kids just roaming around. And I said, excuse me, uh, my name's Eric. I grew up here. I am not a creeper or a murderer or anything like that. But this is my wife, and I want her to see where I grew up. I wanted her to see my home. So I took her in and I showed her, you know, my room. And I tried not to roam too much because I didn't want that lady calling the police or anything like that. And, and I showed her where I broke a window with a golf ball when I was a kid. And I just, there was something special about this place uh, called home. It represented incredible memories. And I was just reminded of the power of that word. And I tell you that just to tell you that home is a very temporary place. Uh, you know, we do a lot to our homes to make them look nice and to make them feel comfortable, but a home is very temporary. And today as we talk about this whole idea of coming home or coming home to God, we're talking about something that's eternal. 
It's about having a relational connection with a God who is eternal. It's a picture of the closeness between you and Jesus. That's what coming home means. It means being close and connected with God. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's a reconnect. And the reason that I believe this is important to talk about is because life works best when you are connected with God, when you're close with him. So no matter what your temporary situation is in life, or you feel like it right now, today, I just want to encourage you that you can come home. And I really believe the majority of us in here, we want to be closer to God. We want to be closer in our relationship with Jesus. And I want to read a story to you. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And it's a story that Jesus told, and it's about the greatest homecoming ever. And we call it the prodigal son. And as Jesus was telling the story, he was talking to two types of people. The first type of people he was talking to were notorious sinners, okay? Um, Notorious sinners, um, that's one of the groups he was talking to. And the other type of people were the very religious. Now, I don't know which one maybe you think you can relate to as of being a notorious sinner. That's kind of where I would categorize myself probably, unfortunately, or the religious, and they weren't even that much better uh, at all. But that was his audience as he was telling the story. And the story is about a father and his two sons, and the younger son does something really wild and radical. The younger son says, dad, I want half of my inheritance Now, which in reality is pretty much saying, Dad, I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. I don't want to be identified with you anymore. I pretty much wish you were dead. So please give me half of my money so I can go on. The dad does something even more radical. He gives him the money. And as Jesus is telling the story, what he's doing is he's trying to paint a picture of what God is like. So the father in the story represents God, and the boys in the story represent you and I. So the father gives him the money, and the Bible says that he goes away to a distant land. And in that distant land, he wastes all of his money on foolish living. It depends on what Bible translation you use, but there's foolish living, there's rebellious living, wild living, parties, prostitutes. Whatever the son was doing, it was not good. He was living a bad life. He wastes all of his money. And at that time that he runs out of money, a famine hits. And I was thinking about that. Isn't that a lot like life? You know, when it rains, it pours. Some of it is because of our own doing. He wastes all of his money. And some of it is that we have no control over. This famine hits. So this guy, the son, he's in a bad situation. And he doesn't even contemplate going home because he knows knows he's brought such shame against his family. So he tries to get a job. And the only place that the son can get a job, many of you know the story, is, is feeding pigs. And as Jesus is telling the story, he understands his audience. See, he understands that Jewish people that he's talking to, a pig is considered unclean. The fact that this boy would go get a job working with pigs, Jesus is saying that this guy has hit rock bottom. He has hit lower than low, a poster child of shame that he would get a job to stoop that low to work with pigs, where even the pig food was looking attractive to him. And in verse 17 right here in the, in the story, it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired men have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a hired man. So he returned home to his father. 
You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever blown it so bad that you've had to apologize in a really big way sometime in your life? I'm sure we can all relate to that. If you've ever had to do that, you know what this boy was doing. He was, he was uh, when he was walking home, remember, he's in a distant land. <clears throat> he had a long way to walk, so he is working it out in his head. He's rehearsing the lines. And here's the part that just blows me away in verse 20. While he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. See, the father is representing God. He sees his son coming, filled with love and compassion, that his son is coming home. And he runs to him, and he embraces him, and he kisses him. And before the son can even apologize, the father, the father speaks up and says, Servants, like... Let's throw a party. Get me a robe for my son. Let's get sandals. Let's get a ring. Let's go kill a, the, the best calf we can find. My son is home. We're going to party. And I was thinking about the story, and wouldn't it be great if that story ended right there? But it doesn't. The party is going on, but there's another son in the story. The other son is out working, and he sees the commotion and hears the noise, and begins to walk up to the house, and he says, what's going on inside? And one of the servants says, hey, your son, your, your younger brother is home. There's a big party going on. Your dad's throwing him this party. He killed the best calf. Come on in. And you know what the response of the brother was? It, it wasn't happiness. He, it, it, was, it was anger. It, it was jealousy. And I thought, can I relate to that sometimes? Somebody gets something that I think I deserve. Somebody else is getting this blessing from God that, that I want. And instead of being happy for them, anger and, and jealousy. And as I was reading the story this week, this one, thing that, uh, this one thing hit me. The father went outside to the other boy. He didn't have to go very far. He just went outside. But in both cases of the sons, one, the father goes running to the son and to the older, to the older son, he went outside looking for them. In both cases, the father went to them. And listen to what it says in verse 31. Dear son, you and I are very close. Everything I have is yours. Can you imagine God would ever say that to us? Everything I have is yours. My power is available to you. My presence is available to you. And it says, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. He was found. And Jesus tells a story, and in doing so, he's trying to paint a picture of who God is. And I encourage you to go home and read the story by yourself. Read Luke 15 and discover what God's character is like on your own. But I just wanted to uh, share with you three things about God's character that I kind of pulled from this story. And you uh, have an outline in your bulletin, and um, there's blanks there that you can fill in, and I encourage you to do so. What kind of father will we be coming home to? The first point there is he is patient enough to not give up. He is patient enough to not give up. I know who, people who say, I am so messed up. God doesn't want anything to do with me. You don't know how many times I, I've walked away. God, God is done with me. And, and the truth is, he, he's not. He remains hopeful. In verse 20, it says, while he, the son, was still a long ways off, his father saw him. 
Imagine that, the beautiful image of God patiently waiting, watching, enthusiastically hopeful that you and I would return. And a lot of times we have a hard time understanding or relating to this whole idea of being patient and not giving up is because we are not patient people at all. We are not patient people. Um, We give up on people really easy. If somebody hurts us once, we might give them a second chance. But if somebody hurts us twice, we pretty much just kind of blow them off and forget about them. And so this, to think that God could be patient with us and not give up on us, it blows us away because, because we're not like that. The Bible says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you would there in your outline, uh, circle the word everyone. He wants everyone to come to repentance, to turn around, to come home. One of my biggest pet peeves, uh, I, I used to do this in church all the time, and I try not to anymore, but when students come in, I try to tell my leaders not to do this as well. A student will be gone for a few weeks or a month or maybe even longer, and I used to do this to where they would come in, and I would say, where have you been? Like, you, man, I have not seen you in forever. And I just finally realized how obnoxious and annoying that was. And so I try not to do that anymore. I don't care where they've been. I just, when they finally come back, I just want to say, hey, it's good to see you. Welcome back. Thanks for being here. And so I just, this whole idea of being patient, it's hard for us. I don't know if you remember the movie Forrest Gump. I was watching this the other day. And uh, at the end of the movie, Forrest was taking Forrest Jr. to the first day of school. And he was at the bus stop with him. And to me, the best words in the entire movie were when Forrest Jr. uh, gets on the bus, Forrest goes, I'll be here waiting for you when you get back. And it's just this whole idea of the father just being there waiting for him. And some of us today, we need to see God in that light. You're in a distant land or you're, or you're disconnected from God in some way. And he's waiting patiently. And some of you aren't runaways, but you're disconnected. And my encouragement, he's not going to give up on you. He's patient. The second thing right there in your outline is the other thing we learned is that um, our father is passionate enough to show extreme love. My favorite verse in this entire story is verse 20. The father saw him a long way away, and he ran to his son. If you could right there, circle the words, he ran. It's the only time in the Bible where God is pictured as running. And what makes this even more interesting is that in that culture, during that day, men wore wore robes. So in a way, it's kind of like wearing a, a long dress. And I've never done this, but from what I've been told, it's hard to run in a dress or, or a robe. But this whole idea of the father, he is running to his son and he has this long robe on. And for him to even pull that robe up and, and run with his bare legs showing in that culture, it was unheard of. It was, it was unheard of. But this was extreme love. This dad didn't care. He saw his son coming and he just went running to him. Why did he run? Because he was passionate enough to go to the extreme just to say that he loved him. Then it says in verse 20, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Just remember the son, he was working with pigs. He just came out of this pig pen. He's been homeless or gone for who knows how long uh, doing this wild living. And the father doesn't even care. He just embraces him. He just starts hugging him and kissing him. And notice here, and here's what's amazing. There's no lecture. 
He doesn't say anything about the boy's past. He doesn't ask him, hey, where have you been? What have you been doing? And in the absence of the words, I think the father says a lot. I think he says everything. He shows that the boy is forgiven. Sometimes God speaks in silence. And sometimes we're waiting for him to answer us. We want this audible voice from the sky. Sometimes we want like the clouds to line up or whatever. We just want to hear God. But sometimes God speaks in silence. But one thing I've learned is that I never have to question whether God loves me or not. Extreme love doesn't always need words. You never have to worry about whether God's going to love you or not. And why is that so difficult for us to understand is because in life, we check in with people all the time if they love us or not. I know I do. At home with my wife, when I mess up, I have to ask her, I'll, I'll just ask her, I'll, I'll do something that disappoints her, and I'll say, um, do you still love me? And, you know, most of the time she answers right away, but sometimes she knows what I'm doing. So she plays this game, and I'll say, um, do you still love me? And she won't answer. And I need to hear it, right? I cannot just, just be happy with not hearing. So I was like, hey, uh -huh, I asked you a question. Do you still love me? And she'll just play that game. And sometimes after like five times, I'll be like, babe, do you still love me? You know, and she'll say, of course I love you. You're an idiot, but I love you, okay? <laughs> but sometimes we have to know, we have to have that reassurance. And we might question whether humans love us or not, but you never have to question whether God loves you. The Bible says in Psalms 145, verse 17, the Lord is loving toward all he has made. He made you. He loves you. He shows it in extreme and passionate ways. And the third thing right there in your outline uh, is that our Father is forgiving enough to accept me. Some of us have this mindset, before I come home, uh, before I come to God, here's what I got to do. I got to get cleaned up. I got to get my life together. You know, I, I just got to get right, and then I'll come home to God. And um, that's not how, how it works. That, that mindset doesn't work. If that describes you, if you're sitting here today going, you know, I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of his patience. I'm not worthy of all this that God has to offer. I'm here to tell you that you're right, you're not worthy, and, and neither am I. But that's what's so amazing about God and his love. I've talked to people that want forgiveness but say, you know, that sounds easy for some, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've been through. It would make God sick. And in my mind, I, number one, God's not surprised, okay? He, he knows what you've been doing. And number two, he's forgiving enough to accept you as you are. I once heard a pastor say, you don't clean a fish before you catch it. You catch the fish first, and then you clean it. You bring it into the boat, and you clean it. And it's the same way. We just go to him, and we let God take care of us, dirty and all. The son came home, and then the father got up, got him, and cleaned him. Let's get him a robe. Let's get him some sandals. Let's get him a ring. Let's throw a party. God forgives you enough to accept you that way, but he loves you enough to let you not stay that way. And this is where this whole idea of change comes in. With his forgiveness, we're getting something better than what we deserve. Do you know what this boy, the son that went away, do you know what he deserved? He deserved a, a whipping. He deserved to be punished. In fact, um, he, he was an outcast. Um, um, in Mosaic law, he would have even deserved death because he ridiculed his family by what he had done. And what did the father give him? He gave him a party. It's crazy. 
Daniel chapter 9, verse 9 says this, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Every one of us have rebelled against God, but he's forgiving. So with that said, you know, that's nice. Thanks for helping me see God a little bit better. But now what? What does this mean in my life? How can I come home? And since Jesus is the one telling the story and it's about the son, I say we just follow the steps of the son on how we can come home to God. And uh, number one right here, it's on the other side of your outline, I believe, is you, can, you come to your senses. You come to your senses. Verse 17 says, when he came to a census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I like to call this the wake up call or the aha moment. Whatever it was that was going through the boy's mind, he said, I, I, I have to, he came to a census somehow. And notice that it took him living with pigs and, and eating, wanting to eat pig food that he finally came to a census. Um, sometimes this wake-up call, it doesn't happen when we're in the midst of sin or when uh, things are going great. Sometimes this wake-up call happens uh, when life is not good, when tragedy happens, when, when something happens and, and we just have this, this wake-up call. A few weeks ago, I was driving my, my car home, uh, home from playing basketball and this Suburban ran a red light going 55 and just... Uh, T-boned me, hit me right on, totaled my car. And luckily, like, my car was completely totaled, but luckily I had one little scratch on me. That was it. And so um, I, I was fine. I called, I called Amy and told her to come to, to the scene. And, and she, I, she knew I was okay, but right when she got to the scene, she just, like, passed me. She goes, my beautiful car, all right? I'm like, I'm okay. Thank you very much, you know? But, and I, here's another thing that I did. I made this very stupid mistake. I, I told her, I don't know why I told her this, but I told her that I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. And I wasn't. I just pulled out of a grocery store. I'm stupid. I was not wearing my seatbelt. Please don't judge me. I usually do. And, um, and you know, my wife, if you know her, she's, she's pregnant and she's, she's just, um, she just, went off on me. She's like, you idiot, how can you not be wearing your seatbelt? And, and she says, you have a, a wife to think about. You have a son that's coming to think about. What were you thinking? And in my mind, in this case, it's like, whoa, that's like a wake-up call. Like, oh my goodness. So now even before I turn the engine on, I am putting on my seatbelt. But in reality, it's like, I, I wasn't thinking, but I'm not responsible for just myself anymore. I had to come to my senses. It's a moment where you know you need to change. And this story is not easy for me to teach because I have things in my own life that I have to work out. I, and I'm not this runaway. I'm not someone who goes out to Vegas and, and just gambles all my money away and, and all this wild living. I don't have this immoral lifestyle. But I am an occasional drifter. I, I know as a pastor that I'm like supposed to be maybe like this professional Christian kind of person. And I, I, I do love God. I don't want anyone to question that. But I drift occasionally. I don't consciously wake up in the morning and say, okay, today I am going to sin. Uh, but there are times when I just don't pay attention to God and I allow my soul to starve and it just happens. And there are times when my uh, time with God goes unattended and my spiritual life is shallow. And I was thinking about the older son, and there are times when I'm like him as well. I'm jealous, and why does he get this? Why does she get that reward and that blessing? <clears throat> you know, I, <clears throat> I've been a Christian longer. God, why aren't you blessing me? And I kind of have that attitude sometimes. And my question to you 
is what is keeping you from answering your wake-up call? Maybe its priorities are mixed up. Maybe you can relate to the sun and there is a sin in your life. You've drifted far away and, and you don't feel connected to God. Or maybe you aren't too busy, but maybe you're just distracted. You're busy with j- your job or with your kids. Maybe you have this lackadaisical attitude towards your relationship with God and you're just putting it off. There's no real reason behind it. You just don't seem to be caring right now. We need to answer this wake-up call. How do you come to your senses? My encouragement to you is to don't put it off. Romans 13, 11 says this, another reason for right living, for coming to your senses is you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. Don't miss out on that closeness you can have with God. The second thing that boy did right here is number two is you have to come clean. He says, I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned. That's coming clean. This is where uh, you expose to God your sin and ask for forgiveness that you know he'll give. And it's not only to expose your sin to God and ask for forgiveness. To me, that's the easy part. And here's what I'd encourage you to do is to express it to somebody else for accountability. Why? Well, because we are all sinners here. That's the one thing that we have in common. We all sin, right? And we all mess up and then we go and then we hide and we go from sin to hide and we don't really deal with it. And here's what happens. You move into this position of being alone and you might have people around you. You might have lots of friends. You might have your spouse, but, but you've hidden the sin and you haven't expressed it to anyone. And my challenge to you is, is to get caught, get found. And nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to expose what they've done wrong. But in reality, if we want to come clean like the son did, we have to go and say, hey, I have sinned. I have a cousin who's pretty much my best friend. And I call, he lives in Oklahoma. And I call him every week. And he will ask me, how's your relationship with God going? I'll be pretty good. And I'll tell him what's going on. I'll say, hey, it's, is there any sin in your life? Is there anything going on in your life that's keeping you from being close to God? And I do not want to tell him at all, ever. But uh, sometimes I will tell him. I'll just say, yeah, this is what I'm struggling with. This is a sin that, that, that I'm dealing with. And he will just tell me, he'll be, hey, we need to take care of that. And he helps me get through this. He helps me get through the sin in my life. It saddens me that um, I meet a lot of people that are more concerned with getting caught than getting help. The Bible is so clear about this that we need to come clean in Proverbs 28, 13. People who cover over their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. Come to your senses, come clean. Share in the context of of a small group or a Christian friend for accountability. And the third thing right here is to come home. To come home. Verse 18 says, I'll set out and go back to my father. Remember, he's waiting for everyone to come to repentance. I'm amazed when I think about this story. This is, I don't know if I mentioned it, it's one of my favorites. I'm amazed to think about the son and the day that he returns home. For whatever reason, he comes to his senses. And you have the son here who's wanting to come home to the father. And he's, he's beaten by his own addictions. He's, he's defeated by his own greed. It, but he sets out on this adventure just waiting to go back to the home he came from. And he's probably expecting rejection. And he's really hoping for mercy. 
And, and while he's there, still ways off, he's rehearsing his lines, and the father sees him, and he, and he ran to him, hugging him and kissing him. And I can just imagine the son trying to get the words out, Father, I have been unfaithful. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father just looking at him and saying, welcome home, my son. See, I, I am faithful. I am your faithful father, and I'm always going to be that way. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what addictions you have. It doesn't matter what trials and, and, and stuff you've been through in the past. It doesn't matter. Your father is waiting for you to come home. When I think of this story, I think of the uh, childhood classic game, Tag. I'm sure we all played it at some point. It's a dumb game. It's just where one person is it and everyone else just kind of runs around trying to not get tagged, right? And we have this place in the game called Home Base. And when you're at Home Base, you are safe. He can't get you anymore. And so I remember playing this game. I was never very good at it. I, I guess maybe I just didn't like to run or I would just always give up really easy and then I would get tagged and, and I would be it. So I just didn't like the game that much. Um, I don't know why. But I remember playing this game as a kid and, and you know, some, some kids would be running in all different sorts of directions trying not to get caught. Others would be kind of hiding, trying to sneak their way to home base. And if you're anything like me, you are just kind of not caring, and then you get caught, and then you're it, okay? And I, I, I believe this childhood game is a lot like our relationship with God. Some of us are running in all sorts of directions. Others are hiding, and sometimes, if you're anything like me in the game, we just have this I don't care attitude, and we end up getting caught by what this world has to offer. So my question to you this morning is, what does coming home mean to you? Maybe coming home for you means you have never entered into a relationship with this God named, named Jesus. You might know a lot about God, but you've never come home to him. Maybe that's what you want. Some of you have already done that, and you say, you know, I, I'm not in a distant land, but you are just disconnected some way, somehow. Maybe there's just something about today or, or God's spirit that is working you and saying, you know what, I am disconnected. I want to reprioritize my life. I want to come clean. And my challenge for you is to find someone who can help you do that, who can keep you accountable. And then there are those here, you say, I'm already a Christian. I feel pretty connected with God, right? What's my action step? And to me, this is probably the most uncomfortable action step, and it's to tell others about this God that you love, about this Father that you love. Your action step is to tell others. And a lot of times, that's the biggest struggle we have. We don't do that. Runaways can always come home. When you do, just imagine God's presence, his, his joy, his face. Ephesians 3.12 says this, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come fearlessly into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome. Right there in your outline, if you would, circle the words glad, welcome. You can be assured that God's saying, welcome back, I've been waiting for you. And if you do these three things, you can do the fourth, and that's to come celebrate. Come be a part of this party that the Father is throwing for you. Celebration is a result of being connected with God. It's a joy that's unspeakable. It's, it's a peace that passes all understanding. And I understand that some of us in here, we have pain in our lives, but what I'm talking about is a celebration that rises above your circumstances. It's deeper than happiness. So you come to your senses, you come clean, 
you come home, and then you come celebrate. I know some Christians, and this kind of drives me crazy too, and um, that, you know, you know they're connected with God just by talking to them, and you know they have this relationship with Jesus, right? But you just wouldn't be able to tell by their face. They don't really seem to have this joy on their face. They're not smiling ever. They kind of complain a lot. They're kind of miserable. And in my mind, I'm like, if you really believe God is who he says he is, if you really believe that the Holy Spirit's living in you and and you're going to have eternal life, if you really believe that he's controlling your life, could you please inform your face? Because we want to be able to see it. We want to be able to see it. Be a part of the celebration. Romans 5.11 says this, Now we rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done in dying for our sins, making us friends with God. That's what coming home to God is. It's being a friend of God. It's just deepening that relationship with him. When I was younger, eight years old, well, growing up, we had a family tradition where we would go to the state fair where we were from. And each year, this was one of my favorite times of the year, is going to the state fair of Texas. And if you know, if you've been there, maybe it's not like the Tulare Fair or the Fresno Fair, okay? Uh, the Texas State Fair is about a thousand times bigger. And we would always go there. And it was a big deal. And uh, I remember when I was eight years old, my family took us there. And my dad would uh, give me, my brother, and my sister these tickets. And we could do whatever we wanted with these tickets. We could uh, ride rides with them, eat food, play games. And, and that's what the majority of the tickets would go to. <coughs> my brother would spend most of his on, on the rides. My sister would eat the food. And, but there was, a, there was one thing that I loved to do, even as a child. And I don't know why. It's actually illegal now. But they had these things there called freak shows, okay? And you could walk in a building and you could go see the world's fattest man or um, the two tiniest ladies in the world. And even at eight years old, I was, like, intrigued by this. I was like, I have to go see the world's fattest man, okay? And so I wouldn't even, like, I wouldn't even eat that day. I would just use my tickets to go to these things. And I don't know what was wrong with me. But... I remember my dad was handing us these tickets. And right when I got mine, I saw the the building with a big sign that said, come see the world's fattest man. And so my dad gave me those tickets and he went around to give the other tickets to my siblings. And I just jetted for that building. I just went and I remember standing in line. I remember walking through, there's the fat man just standing there and you just like watch him eating a hamburger and then you're out. That's pretty much it. But I remember... I remember coming out of the building, and I remember going back to where my family was, and they weren't there anymore. They were gone. And here I am, eight years old, the Texas State Fair, completely lost, scared to death. And I thought, well, I, I, I tried to stay calm, and I thought I will see them soon. Like, I'm gonna, they're around here somewhere. And I, re- I remember even seeing a man that I thought was my dad, and I, I ran to him, and he turned around, and it wasn't him. So what started out as 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it ended up being a couple hours. And as an 8-year-old, a couple hours lost at this huge place, it was quite scary. And I remember a security guard found me and he took me to the building where all the other lost children were. And <laughs> we're just sitting there. And I'm, I remember thinking that I am never going to see my family again. I remember thinking, 
like, this is it. Like, I'm going to live at the fair or something. I don't know. <laughs> and then sure enough, though, after two and a half hours, my father comes into the door and he just starts running to me. And I remember to this day just that joy that I felt, that security I felt. I just jumped up. I ran to him. I just jumped into his arms. And I remember just apologizing, saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he just looked at me saying, it's okay. It's okay. You're safe. You're safe with me. And the amazing thing about this story, here's the amazing thing about this story, is that while I was desperately looking for my dad, he was desperately looking for me. I don't know why that gets to me. I don't know why. I was lost at the fair. Um, <laughs> but I think it's because I compare this to our relationship with God. We're lost and God is pursuing us. He wants us to come home. He is desperately looking for us. All we have to do, all we have to do is make that effort, make that action step. So I don't know what it is in your life today, guys. I don't know if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to come to him. You'll never find a better place to be. If you do know him and you have some sin in your life, come home to God. Just get rid of it. Expose it to somebody else. Let them know about it. Tell others about him. The prodigal son, he came home and the father accepted him and he loved him and he forgave him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us. When I read this story and think about how much you love me, I'm overwhelmed. Thank you, God, that your love for us is patient, that it's extreme, and that it's forgiving, and that you created us and want a relationship with us. It's incredible. God, thanks for hearing our prayers. Thanks for hearing the prayers of those who have drifted, that we can come home. And you say, welcome back. God, may we be different people as we leave here today because we've heard your voice, because we've sensed your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. The worship team is going to play some music, but you are dismissed. Have a great day. Thanks.